Drunk Botany, Episode 21. Place to glass and prepare to enter a world of gardens, brews, botany, and booze. Here's your host, Bill Creation. Alcohol is a poison, and if you don't partake responsibly, it will kill you. If you've been picking your poison today, don't get behind the wheel. If you absolutely need to get somewhere, why not utilize the services of the Lyft app? If you're new to the program, have your first ride on me. Just use my referral code, DBOTANY, and arrive alive. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Drunk Botany. I am your host, Phil Creation, and joining me today is my cousin, Steve Robnett, who totally failed to help me put together a fence for my garden this year. Wasn't his fault. The people who sent the stuff didn't put all the pieces in the box, and we drove, we dragged that thing all the way down like a acre of property to find out that the instructions weren't there, the pieces weren't there. It was a giant mess. So we've decided to drown our sorrows in some whiskey. Steve, you want to say hi to everybody? Hello, everybody. Um, Steve joining me today actually as a request from one of our listeners, somebody wrote in, Jackie, if you're out there, I know you can hear me, asking, not asking, demanding an episode on the Kentucky Derby and the cocktail associated with it. So I wanted to bring Steve in because he is the son of an old racetrack man. And full disclosure, I once worked for a racetrack as well. Steve, did you also work for a racetrack? Did, well, I worked for the company that I worked the same company. Uh, Autotoad, or was it Scientific Games? Yeah, I was at a period of time where both both monikers were in use. Uh, I actually had an opportunity to work a Kentucky Derby back in high school, and I didn't take it because I was an idiot. Anyway, that's most of the things you decide not to do. For I know, seriously. <laughs> uh, anybody who's listening out there, if there's a thing that you want to do, and you're waiting for the right time in your life to do it, there's never going to be a right time. Just do the thing. And then come back to, like, you figure out a way to make it work. Anyway, so, Jackie, a listener of the show, wrote in. So, if you are interested in hearing a specific thing, find me on Facebook. There's a call feature. You could leave a voicemail. I have no qualms about putting recording on the air so that it sounds like you're right there with me. But if there's a show you want to hear, let me know what that show is, and I'll try to make it happen, as is the case with Jackie. And we're going to get right there under the line, because at the time that I'm recording this, the Kentucky Derby itself is a mere matter of hours away. Steve, what can you tell me about the Kentucky Derby? Kentucky Derby is the first race in the Triple Crown. Wait, what's the Triple Crown? Triple Crown is the Kentucky Derby, Preakness Stakes, and the Belmont Stakes. It's pretty much the three most famous horse races in the U.S. Why is the Kentucky Derby the only one that anybody knows about? Well, the Kentucky Derby is the one people know about because, in reality, it's just marketed better. They put a lot more pomp and pageantry into it, even though it is... The shortest of the three races, and is worth the le- worth the least amount of money to the win in prize money. Correct. Do you think that 
it's... Is this the Race for the Roses? Yes. Okay, so would you say that the fact that uh, the Kentucky Derby is basically like an unofficial beginning of spring, a celebration of uh, being outdoors, mint plants start to sprout at that period of time in Kentucky and start to take over, uh, it becomes kind of like a celebration of whiskey as well, right? Well, that's because it's in Kentucky. Okay. Yeah? Okay, that's fair. They celebrate whiskey all the time. They don't need an excuse. All right, well, I'm not going to speak for Kentuckians over there because I don't want to get into any fights or anything like that. But I do love myself some whiskey, and if you're me, it's always whiskey season. So you have associated with this race the mint julep, right? Correct. Well, I've looked into mint juleps for a long time. I remember, like, the first cocktail book I ever had had a recipe in it for one, and I was reading it out loud to somebody, and they're like, that sounds disgusting, like toothpaste. But this I have actually found that when made like, when made improperly, this, this drink is disgusting. Like toothpaste. Like toothpaste. But when made properly, this is a really refreshing summer drink, but it is primarily liquor. So people see all these fancy hats and the pageantry associated with it, and they don't really realize that this is like a knock-your-socks-off kind of thing. Like, you'll wake up in a field somewhere. you got to watch. I have over here the ingredients as best as I can approximate them for the official mint julep of the Kentucky Derby. Now, there is a level of pretension that's associated with the official mint julep that you would get at the Kentucky Derby. What do you know about this? Like, have you heard about this before? Like, I've known for a long time the only drink you could get at the Kentucky Derby was the mint julep. Well, they have another one this year. I forget what it's called, but it has cranberry juice in it. (laughs) Whatever. But we were discussing earlier. Oh, I have to interrupt you. Do you see how much ice I have in this glass? Yes. It's a little melty. That's not ideal. But this is like a full pint glass worth of ice. Yes. See these cups over here? Yes. I think this is going to end up being less than a pint mixed together. And I guarantee I fit all of this ice in here. So I'll let you finish your story as I silently work on this next step. As we were discussing earlier, the the, the pageantry that's involved in the mint julep this year, it's, it's a little out there. Uh, would you say it's a thousand dollars for a drink this year? Well, yeah, uh, they have these cocktails, and they're a thousand dollars. And the levels of ingredients that go into it are just so out there. But all the proceeds do go to charity. I, I'm not sure if I was reading this year's information or last year's information, but I think it benefits Jennifer Lawrence's charity. It costs a thousand dollars. You get this limited edition, like sterling silver glass that it comes in it's like a because that's because folks our collins silver does not queer the taste of alcohol that's true that's true i uh you know some of the old-timey british mugs had glass bottoms and silver tankards anyway so the key to this drink and before my ice gets too melty i'm going to kind of leap into this and then i'll go back to the story again is that you want to use crushed or shaved ice now I have developed a foolproof method that I have not found on the internet anywhere else, and I will share that with you, but it is not my preferred method. When I was a kid, and I don't remember if I got this from my grandfather's estate or if I found it for like 50 cents at a yard sale, but it was an ice crusher device. Like, 
it was like a little metal box with a crank on it and there were these metal hooks inside and you would feed this machine ice and crank it and it would shave the ice for you that is lost to the sands of time but what i have now is a foolproof method that anybody can do to crush your own ice like a big glute now what you want to start off with is a nice wooden cutting board because you want a little bit of give in here and you don't want to damage your tabletop surfaces or anything like that now some places on the internet will tell you you want your trusty bar spoon for this tool don't do it it's too flimsy it's not enough spoon for the job i'm telling you what i use is one of those old Italian spanking metal spoons. You know, one of these things that you use to stir up sausage. Not your charismatic wooden spoon, but like, we're going to serve some lasagna with this bad boy. Like a giant metal spoon. You could, you could use it to fend off a fencer who attacked your house if you were so inclined. This, my friends, will make short work of any ice cubes. So then you just want to take like a simple plastic bag, and I'm I'm using one of those uh, old-timey sandwich bags. Not, I'm not even going to spring for the Ziploc. That's how stingy I'm being. And I've, I've put about four ice cubes in here out of a total of maybe ten. And you want to take your time and rest this ice bag on top of your wooden cutting board and give it a nice thwack. All right? And it should decimate that first ice cube. It should break it up real nice. But some of these ice cubes will be fairly large still. Sometimes you got to tell it more than once. All right. So you go over here and you go whack, whack. And don't rush. And when you have what is essentially like snow cone levels of ice, you're in pretty good shape. All right, that's what you're going for here. And one of the reasons why this is so important is because the ingredients to an authentic mint julep is just like a two-ounce pour of bourbon whiskey. I'm using Woodford Reserve because that's the authentic choice. You want to use about a half an ounce of simple syrup. Uh, I believe at the actual Kentucky Derby this year, they're using an estate-grown sorghum syrup. Now, with the weight of this spoon, it really does make short work of this. And what you're essentially doing here is just creating these small things. You're going to muddle two mint leaves. The uh, variety that they use there is... Uh, mint variety I have not gotten my hands on called Kentucky Colonel. I'm using sweet mint from Bonnie Plants. I wish that I was using the family strain of mint that we've been using. Uh, I perpetuated this particular... Do you remember the mint that I'm talking about? Yeah, the stuff your dad used to grow. Yeah, he, he got through some farmer's market somewhere the mint plant that forms the basis of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum. Yeah, it grows all over his yard now. Yeah. Well, I don't think it does anymore because he had it in a container. Because he doesn't have the plant anymore either. I keep talking to him about it. Because oh. when we do... I promise there's a botanical uh, component to this show after I ever shut up about mid juleps. Probably when we get around to drinking them. <laughs> it's 
If you are not in a hurry, this episode was live fire. Yeah, well, if you're if you're not in a hurry, you could be a little bit more careful about this sort of thing. But if you look at this, now that I've crushed everything down, these ice cubes take up about half of the volume that they used to take. Now that has a large effect on the way that you're going to build the drink. Bartenders have a couple of different methods that they utilize when uh, making cocktails, and one of those is the build. In this instance, I'm going to start by muddling it. You, uh, you don't like any mint in your mint julep, right? I am not a mint julep fan, though. <laughs> That's okay. I'll will, make yours will, without I will without suffer mint. and drink one today. Oh, because well, I'll, I'll get you some mint, but I'll also, you know... Make my patented eggnog of bourbon and ice cubes for you, if that's what you prefer. <laughs> so, when I, I... Take a look at this. Yes, this is a novelty baseball bat. Yeah, this is this is what I use as a muddler. Um, it, like, uh, I don't know if... Uh, those of you listening at home and not presently getting drunk with me at my dining room table will not have the benefit of actually seeing this, so I'll have to actually describe what I have here. And um, when you go to baseball, they have these useless novelty baseball bats. I remember your brother had one when we were kids, yes. and I used to make fun of it, because like it's too small, you can't hit anything with this except for your brother, Steve. Yeah, that, that is accurate. Okay, uh, I mean, like, even a golf ball is larger than this thing. Yes. You know, so, like, I could never understand what the purpose of this was. So, when I started learning how to make old fashions and mint juleps, I started out with, like, sticks in the woods. I bought, like, the muddler that they have, which is probably half the size of this. Right. But it gives you, essentially what it is, is it's a large wooden device that gives you enough heft to crush the essential flavors out of a botanical ingredient. In this particular instance, it's a mint leaf. Okay, so we're going to go ahead, and now that we've decimated this into a nice, perfect little paste, we're going to add about a half an ounce of... I'm going to go for an ounce, actually. Let's make doubles. Sounds good. And I'm going to add my two, or in this instance four ounces of Woodford Reserve. That's the other thing that you have to be careful with. Once this ice begins to settle and take up less surface area... Just like a snow cone, it all sticks back together. Yeah, it starts to stick back together. And you, you want to... Again, what you're looking for in this ice is that snow cone effect. So, fortunately, we came with the appropriate tools to this thing, and we still have our trusty bar spoon because that's another important part of this cocktail you're going to want to spoon your ice into your cup my cups are not silver because i'm poor uh <laughs> if anybody wants to buy me uh mint julep cups i promise to use them um or if you are looking to purchase that sort of thing on your own of course you would get it on Amazon, and you would use my link to go there, clearly, right? What are we, savages? You want to get this tiny surface area ice into your container, and you want to stir it 
I like to use the little twist on there that's built into the spoon until you get a little bit of frost to appear on the outside of your metal Collins glass. All right, now This one is for you, Steve. Thank you. Without the mint. Cheers. Cheers. See how you get the frost on the outside. Yep. That's how you know you've made it right. But the other key is since this is predominantly booze, is that mint flavor gets released as these smaller ice cubes begin to melt. And that kind of makes the drink a little bit more of a drinking cocktail and less of a sipping cocktail. If you use actual ice cubes, it's literally going to just be like a ton of bourbon with this weird hint of mint. It doesn't work as well. The The water opens up the flavor of the whiskey substantially. I think it really like unlocks flavors that are buried in there from the wood. Absolutely does. But yeah, I like to use these um, novelty baseball bats as muddlers. Probably one of the first times I've seen one of those in 20 years that someone wasn't swinging at me. Yeah. Yeah. I used to have a Phillies one. This one actually is a, a Yankees farm team, the Rail Riders, because regardless of what your allegiances are, you are duty bound by the laws of baseball to root for your home team. Uh, so my home team for Major League Baseball is the Philadelphia Phillies being named Phil. And I used to have a Phillies bat, but I got drunk in a garden one time and lost my baseball bat from the Philly stadium out there, and I have not yet replaced it. But when I went to go see a local game from the Rail Riders, I picked this one up when I took my son to see his first baseball game there. I got this, and I replaced my muddler for it. And now that's what I use that for. So tell me more about the Triple Crown. Why do people care about it? Why the hats? Why the mint juleps? Do you know? I don't. Me either. I don't think they know either. No? Well, I th I'm, I'm going to go with it. It's a celebration of spring, and it's a celebration of uh, whiskey. Maybe. It's like a I, great kickoff, I think, for this time of year. Honestly, I really can't. I, I really don't know the whole history behind it. All I do know is that uh, it's a party. People like to wear ridiculous hats. Maybe it's just something with Kentucky culture and the way they like to do things. Could go back to when the race first started. I honestly couldn't tell you. Well, I would like to talk a little bit more about the way that they do the ridiculous version of this cocktail. So, again, it, it's $1,000. You have to buy it before the event starts and, like, go pick up your drink. You have to wait for the race to be over to get your drink also. Yes. Because part of the ingredients that they use there are involved in, like, the ceremonies and pomp and circumstance that are associated with the drink. Like, okay, so, wait, what I, were you I believe, I believe what you were telling me earlier is they're garnishing the drink with three rose petals from the roses the horse gets to wear after he wins. Yeah, so you get, like, a nice sweaty rose petal. Hopefully the one that's not covered in horse spit. Well, you know, if you're into that sort of thing. Maybe. I mean, you are wearing a ridiculous hat, spending $1,000 for a drink. So, to be in For charity. 
for charity. Well, that's what they said. <laughs> uh, they use a simple syrup that uses, I think, a steak-grown sorghum. The ice that they make is made from, like, the limestone water that comes from the part of Kentucky on the estate that Woodford Reserve does it. So, like, they kind of took over. Yeah. I think it's real interesting that Woodford Reserve is, like, the official whiskey, the bourbon, the official bourbon yes. for the Kentucky Derby. Because growing up, I always thought it was Blanton's. I remember when I turned, like, 21... That was always the bottle of whiskey that I wanted to buy because it had a little horse racer yeah, as like the stopper. Um, it, I honestly, I, I don't say on top of it well at all, but I'm sure there's somebody out there that knows whether it used to be Blanton's, whether it's a sponsorship deal, they bought the sponsorship. That's probably what it is. Gotcha. That makes sense. Well, if anybody knows out there and you want to write in, I would love to hear from you. Uh, again, I, I encourage anybody to let me know what kind of show it is that they want to have. But that being said, now that we're, you know, some level of whiskey in, I think it's about time that we talk some botany instead of just getting drunk. So look what I got here. Tell me what you see. I see a lion's head can with soil in it. Yeah, because I cut the top off. I put a hole in the bottom over here so that I have some drainage yes. in there, right? And then I have a... This is the the plant uh, that I got for mint for this year. Because, again, that polar vortex came through a couple of years back. And it was the first time I ever saw weather kill a mint plant. Yeah, well, I hope so. And it killed, it killed not only my mint plant that I had for 10 years. It killed my dad's. You know, so we have no way of getting back to that original strain. And now I'm stuck with big box store mint. <laughs> ah, what a failure I am. Anyway, so what we're going to do is we're going to clone this plant because I want to donate it to the bar at work so that I can make either mint juleps for anybody that asks tomorrow or mojitos as the season comes around. I want to grow this in a pot at the restaurant and have fresh, local sourced ingredients. But we'll see if that actually happens. Because I tried it in years before. And somebody came and stole the mint plant that I have. You know? That was... Bunch of savages in this town. Alright, so what I did here was I took sure. a substantial top to this mint plant and I just snapped it right off. This is what you would normally use to garnish the drink that we're making, but instead mm -hmm. of wasting a perfectly good garnish... And we don't have three sweaty horse rose petals. Oh, yeah, I don't have any sweaty horse petals. My roses have not bloomed yet. What I did here is I'm going to clone it. So, mint is a weed. Left unchecked, it's going to take over anything. You know, you mentioned yep. it earlier. So I never plant mint directly in the ground. I only ever put it in planters, which I actually think may have contributed to the demise of the Wrigley Spearmint Gum mint that I had. And then I'm just going to go ahead, and in this can, which I filled with a seed-starting medium mixed with a little bit of peat moss, I'm just going to put a 
finger in there and get the stalk in, all right? And then I'm going to press it up neatly around, and we're done. This was literally the easiest thing that I have ever done for gardening. It's literally the same as planting, but we're planting it's a larger party. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, so now this will, in a couple of days, begin to take root. Uh, it'll wilt, you know, because it doesn't have the root structure yep. to bring it the waters that it normally does. But this is going to be my basic introduction for plant cloning, because I do want to do an episode in the future about how to clone tomato plants. And uh, this is a good springboard into that. But tomatoes are a little bit more difficult to do than mint. Mint is literally the most forgiving thing on the planet. Again, left unchecked, it'll kind of just leap out of its container and go wherever it can. It's it'll, like the it'll, It will eat your yard. It really will. It's like the Jurassic Park of plants. Uh, those are strawberries. Mm. You know, I, I just got strawberries. I'm going to grow strawberries for the first time this year. Yeah, don't I, put them in your yard. No? No. I think we have already have wild strawberries that grow in that giant lawn. You, you may. Um, I wouldn't eat them. No, I wouldn't either. Strawberries are terrible. Uh, domesticated strawberries, on the other hand, delicious. It's real easy. You go out in your yard and say, hey, look, there's wild strawberries in my yard. The rabbits didn't eat them. Should probably tell you something. <laughs> uh, but domesticated strawberries, like mint, will eat your yard. We had strawberries when I was little in our garden. Didn't they take over? I feel like your mom used to complain about that. Yeah, yeah, they did. They literally took over the entire garden across the front of the house to the point we ripped out the entire garden in a foot of topsoil and put new topsoil down and that was the only way the strawberries went away. Well, it's a good thing we didn't get that fence up today then because otherwise there'd be the... I, I got a new version of strawberry that my alma mater put together. It's the Rutgers Scarlet Strawberry. Yeah. I'm really excited to grow it this year. Uh, maybe I could put together a cool episode on that, teach everybody how to make old-timey strawberry daiquiris. Because you know, if you're thinking that a blender is involved in the drink that I'm going to teach you guys about, you are sorely mistaken. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that's our episode for today. Is there anything that you have to say? Yeah, no. You've, you've expended my botanical knowledge with don't plant strawberries unless you want strawberries <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> and then, Likewise with the mint. Yes. Before we go, I want to invite everybody to go ahead and find our Facebook page, Drunk Botany. Like us on Facebook, share our posts, tell your friends about everything. Feel free to write me, your host, Phil Creation. Uh, I'll get back to you or I'll address your concerns in an actual podcast episode. And... Anything that you may have missed while driving in your car or on your daily jog will be available in our show notes page for the episode, so don't worry about finding pens or paper. I wrote it down for you. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Drunk Bot. Visit us at drunkbotany.com to subscribe to the show for free and we'll join you next week.